0: Tain Podcast. Hey, Gain, routine I wanted to tell you about I Digress, which is hosted by Troy Sandage and brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. It's got shows under 30 minutes and it helps to eliminate complexity, complications, and confusion in your business uh, through a series of frameworks and strategies. Um, he talks all about scalable and sustainable success. He hits on things like marketing, sales, customer success, and more. So go check out I digress, and listen to I digress wherever you get your podcasts. We are coming to you on a Friday, and I'm looking forward to a weekend after some uh, New York travel. We just got back from New York City. We did a gain, grow, attain event, which brought together about 50 people in New York. Um, sounds like some of the the usual suspects and uh, people that were there. So it's good to finally make some connections in person. But There's going to be some more of those happening next year. So it was good to to get another one under our belt. Christy, what'd you think? I
1: thought it was great. I thought it was a great turnout. I think it is tough. There are so many people that that are even in New York that have moved out of the city. And so more people distributed in the state. So I think we lost a lot of the kind of core New York community that had been really active at in-person events previously. So I was surprised to not see certain people there. But I thought the turnout was great. Everyone was really engaged. I think for me personally, I met a lot of people who I hadn't met in person previously, so that was great. Um, no, I think you did a good job. It was it was really good, well done. And your was, banner is phenomenal. Hey,
2: it's fanci- the
1: fanciest banner I've ever seen.
2: Looks great. It's the fanciest gain, grow, retain banner I've ever seen. I
1: mean, listen, I was the like honored one. to have to be able to take some pictures in front of it.
2: So let's talk about the format of that for a second. Can we brainstorm it just for a minute? Yeah. because I was, was going to do that. Oh, okay, we had like a thousand ideas on the way home about how to make those events, Different, better, more exciting. Although it was great. But one of the things I found is that I was telling the story about Gain, grow, Retain a lot, like in like one-on-one to different people, which I'm always happy to do. But I think what we need to do is at the beginning of that, like just lead in like with a real short, not like a big talk, but like five minutes of, hey, let just, to, here's a quick story of what Gain, grow, Retain is and how it came to be and what we're trying to do. And then if we have somebody sponsoring the event with us, then have them, you know, give them two minutes to talk about you know, who they are, what they do, and then go on about the thing. But we've also talked about adding thought leadership and some other stuff into it. So what are your thoughts on it, Christy?
1: I think what I'd like to see, and I don't know if this is true for every market, right, for New York, because so many of us had been active previously in in, in in-person meetups you have a lot of folks that just go to the folks who they know and so I don't want to say it becomes like a little clicky but it's very easy to get into conversations with people especially if you haven't seen them in a while I think it'd be cool not to do like a speed dating thing but like have a check-in give people some badges so everyone knows who everybody is and then maybe pair up and say like is there somebody who's here who you haven't spoken with? And kind of do like a matchmaking where we kind of do some formal facilitation of introductions, right? It's not like a sit down and have a conversation, but like it's sometimes easier if somebody walks up to you and says, oh, hey, this is so-and-so and makes an introduction to facilitate that that conversation. Um, I didn't think that, that was necessary in the New York one. Like I said, there's just so many people who knew each other that were excited to see each other again. But there was a few people looking back who I never met before, who I would have liked to have chatted with. And I just didn't, right? Because I got caught up in conversations, yeah. seeing old friends.
2: Yeah, I like that idea.
0: Yeah, I think there's- There's
1: just something to kind of break the ice with some people.
0: Yeah, there's, um, I think a couple of ways you can do that too. I, I think about this a lot. I mean, I, I think about the idea of like, the, if you do these things really well, it takes a lot of prep work and curation ahead of time, you know, like how can we, um, how can you, it's almost like, how can you make the barrier to entry a little bit higher so that, you know, people who are coming, like you said, are actively engaged and they want to get into these types of conversations and, um, how can you facilitate that? Or how can you kind of make an environment where that happens? Um, so I, I like that idea too, of trying to figure out like a way that you can kind of bring people around, uh, do that type of of networking and whatnot. Um, I also think too, that the one of the challenges, I think too, is that you, you also have like so many questions, you know, that you're like, Christy is um, getting bombarded, right? Because people have so many questions. And so it's like, how can you also like have some sort of way that people can um, get some of their own questions answered? Because everyone has like a little personal enge- agenda walking into those things, right? Like, hey, I'm uh, about to build out a scaled customer program and Christy's done that before. Like I have so many questions to ask her and, and but Christy can't spend, you know, 30 minutes with me talking about my specific company and my specific problem. So I'm, out, I'm always trying to figure out a way to, to how can you help people kind of get that personal agenda accomplished and feel like, oh man, I got that done. Um, and that's always hard to do in a, in a group, in, a group setting or group environment when you're trying to mix a ton of different things, right? It's just, you know, you can't be everything to everybody. So there's there's some things.
1: That... Well, why not why not use your community platform, right? So if you're having an thinking. event, you're having an event. Build out a little forum that's just like a, a thread about the event, and tell people to go there and say, hey, if you're planning to attend and you want to meet people and you have certain questions, like start start the engagement there. So you're almost continuing conversations or tying things off rather than to your point, starting from scratch and it takes 30 minutes to just even ask the question.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
2: And I think yeah. that's going to happen. Good. And, and you, get the, go and you, you go. get the whole power of the community, right? I mean, you get—I mean, Christy's got an answer based on her experience, but then,
1: yeah, if you can get answer. people to
2: engage there, then I mean, that that drives—it um, drives so much value to the community to have those things out there. But now, some things you do, like you want to have a personal conversation with somebody, right? It's, it's yes. a little more sensitive. It's—I'll tell you one thing I, I heard a lot of. The big theme for me was that people are sort of they're antsy. They're looking around. They're either not working. They've already quit their jobs, and they're sort of and they've done it without another job because they want to go find something that's more fulfilling, or they're like, uh, "I've been, you know, been doing this for a while. I'm looking for, for something new." And I won't go more deep than that because I don't want to blow anybody's cover. But like people, people are people are looking for new opportunities well, the thing right there. like
1: there's so many opportunities open right now there's i yeah. you know i keep looking at how many customer success related jobs there are open around the globe right now compared to how many people actually have some kind of customer success language in their profile or in their title right there's more yeah. jobs than there are even people with the experience to do the work so i mean yeah if you're somebody who's if you're if you're complacent in your role or you're you're unhappy there's nothing keeping you there
2: yeah. Another, another, theme on that front is I see a lot of people in education looking to get out of education and come into customer success right now.
1: Yeah. That seems to be a big trend. In fact, I feel like on a weekly basis, the the types of people that add me or follow me on LinkedIn seem to be more folks from education, but
2: yeah.
1: based off of what I'm seeing and hearing and reading, it seems like they're also having the most trouble transitioning.
2: Yes. So,
1: so help me understand, like what I mean, I have some thoughts and feedback on that. What do you guys think is the big challenge there? If you're in education and you're interested in transitioning into customer success, what's the barrier to entry?
2: Well, I mean, the, the thing that I'm hearing from people, we we actually have hired a number of educators. So did I,
1: right? I had my my technical yeah. support lead. It was a former math teacher.
2: Yeah. I, we, we have a, a person we just put on our strategic services team, former teacher. He, he did an interview with us from his classroom while he still had his teaching job. It was really cool. Um, and we've had some other really successful people come through our company uh, from teaching the teaching profession. So I think, um, I don't know what the challenges are per se, but it, I think it's just, it's sort of like going from the military into corporate life. You know, it's almost like going it from public service into private. It, it seems like that is the leap and just how do we get these folks sort of educated on SAS companies in general and get them a shot, right? All they need is a shot and they're typically going to prove themselves. They've been doing things, you know, engaging their people, their students at scale, you know, whether they're administrators or, or teachers, um, You know, one of the guy that we hired was really interesting. One of the things that I loved about him is he ran the I don't know if you if your daughter has this, Christy, but they have like uh houses within schools now, like sort of like Harry Potter.
1: Yes. They'll they'll
2: have and, and they have competitions and it's you know, it's just it's just a cool thing that they do now. And um, he organized that whole thing for his school. And I was like, man, this is really impressive. He like got the whole program off the ground, he talked about change management. Cause he had to go convince people that this was a good idea. Um, you know, he, he had to sell the idea, like he had to organize and structure it and do the operations around it. Like it was just, it was a lot. And it was that. But so I think if you're an educator and you're looking to go into customer success, talk about those things that are more programmatic that you did. Yeah. Because there's a lot of that going on in a school, in a classroom that I think applies directly to what we're all trying to do scaling. Our teams.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think it's a lot in the storytelling, right? How do you demonstrate through a story your transferable skills? And so it sounds like that that gentleman did a great job doing that, and that's a that is a great story for him. Do you think that there's also this little experience bias that certain leaders aren't comfortable bringing anybody in who doesn't have traditional customer success experience?
0: I think. Um,
2: Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Jeff.
0: I think. I mean. I think that tends to happen, even just like SaaS experience. You know, I think depending where you are and the size company you're at and the the growth and the stage where you are and kind of the type of role, right? I think, I think a lot of times you're trying to figure out and understand, do I have the opportunity to bring somebody in who hasn't done this before, or do I, or is this a a critical element and I need somebody who's done it before and been there? And I think, I don't know, more often than not, I think people kind of lean and say, well, we're moving so fast. I need somebody who's been there and I need somebody who's done there, done it before. And so I think the bias is to kind of lean to that, that side of it, um, be, you know, just be and not saying the other person can't do it, but if you, if you can walk in the door and say, Hey, I've done this before at a different company. Um, it's pretty powerful because now, you know, you, you have understood, you've gone through the change management. You've understood, um, the types of pace and the, the types of activities that are happening. Um, you kind pace. of know the behind the scenes of, of what has to happen in order for a company to go from 20 to 50 million or 50 to hundred or 50 to 75. Like those are just big step changes for um, for you to take a gamble on somebody who hasn't done there and been, been there and done it before. So I think you just have to choose. I think I think more often than not, people go on that bias, right? But I think also you have to you have to bring in people who don't have the experience in some cases because you need outside thinking, you need people who you know can kind of break. That mindset, but yeah, I think you have to pick your spots. I think you have to kind of figure out, okay, where where do I have the opportunity to do that,
2: Um, and where
0: can I not afford to do that.
2: Well, the other the other the other piece of that is, it's not just customer success management experience. We just hired somebody that came from one of the vertical markets we serve, and she came in and she looked at our onboarding and and was like, hey, like y'all got a lot of stuff right, but let me let's sit down and have a conversation about what it's actually like to work inside of one of these organizations. And, you know, I'm just going to share. And she put together this deck and was like, okay, here's a day in the life. Here are the people that you're talking to. Here's what they're dealing with. Here's what you look like to them. It was, and she was actually a former customer as well, which was was helpful. But so I think, you know, the way we think about it is you don't have to have customer success experience, but on the other side, if you could, if you could come in with some experience in the domain that more than offsets it usually as long as we believe you can go, you know, take a, take a course, get the basics of what customer success is in your mind. Cause it's, it's not that complex in theory, right? It's, it's a lot of work and it's complex in practice, but the, the concepts, as long as you have the capacity to do it are cool. So we look for sort of one or the other, like you've got some domain experience or you've got CS experience and so we've hired people with both or with either, I should say in, in the past year but what, one of the things that I always suggest, and I think it's probably an obvious suggestion, but when, especially when folks from teaching come to me, I had somebody from the wealth management, you know, uh, world come to me the other day and ask how to get how they how they could get into SaaS and CSM, being a CSM, no matter what industry you, you're in. We talked about it, I think, on the last podcast we did. There's a there's a vertical SaaS product for everything, right? So just go around and look for the companies that could actually really use your expertise from the domain, don't worry so much about being a CSM. Like you can go learn that stuff, take a course, take a certification, just to check that box. But when you go interview with those people, convince them that you really understand the market, the personas, the people. And if it's a truly customer driven company, they will see value in that and you'll land in a good spot to get started. That would be my advice.
1: I mean, that's how I got into it, right? I was a subject matter expert in digital marketing and I went to a company that did digital marketing. I was their customer, right? So that transition was natural for me. And I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about SaaS, let alone CS. So I had to go relearn everything. And so there was no, you know, as long as you're willing to put in the time to learn and grow, I mean, sky's the limit, right? I think also people need to think about creative roles outside of just traditional customer success, right? Onboarding, training, enablement, right? Go look and see what other roles will get your foot in the door that again, where the transferable skills you have will apply easily. So I I always tell people like, stop getting hung up on being a CSM. If you get into the right organization, you can, you can transition, you can grow, you can get promoted, right? Like stop focusing on that. If your end goal is that get your foot in the door. It doesn't have to start. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: There's two things uh, that I'll say, and then we can, maybe move on uh, to something else that we've got here. And But I've been interviewing a lot of people. I've been reading a lot of resumes. And I already gave an anecdote away earlier about connecting your activities to business results. But I think there's two things that candidates should be thinking about, which is one, like the thing that you just mentioned, Jay, is so big, like come in so over-prepared that you could almost like give a presentation on the market, the, how the company fits into the market, um, what you're noticing about them. Like, I just have not been blown away by people coming in and saying, oh my gosh, I did so much research on higher logic. Let me tell you what I think about the community industry right now, right? No one's come in and done that. And like that to me is like a way to really stand out is like, hey, even at the beginning of the interview, hey, before we jump in, do you mind? I just went and did some research. Do you mind, Christy? Like if I come in and tell you the way I think about this this customer success platform market and what I've researched and noticed, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong and like you, you, you fill in the gaps, right? think about how different that would change the trajectory of like the interview that you're going into. The second thing that I think about too, is, um, actively ask before you hop off an interview with, with whether it's the hiring manager or the you know executive leader, whoever the executive leader or whatever I think about, um, ask what is one challenge that you have today that I can go build two or three slides around and give you my perspective on it. Like, how, again, think about the trajectory of how that person would change your mind if like Jay, I was in an interview and I said, Jay, give me give me one thing that you're going to work on with your team over the next couple of weeks and let me just go, I may know nothing about it, but I'd love to go, even, just give it a try. Like, I don't know, I just, like no one's like, uh, no one is like so proactive like that in interviews. It's always like, I'm just waiting, I'm sitting on the other end, waiting for you to ask me questions about, uh, tell me an experience when, and you know I'm, I'm just gonna spit out like this, preconceived notion of like you know yeah. what I have done. So I just am like on this on this kick recently because I've had to do so much interviewing and and it just is like driving me up a wall. So those are two things I think about.
2: It's it's really interesting. And the whole thing, the whole time you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking it's a seller's market. That's half the problem.
1: That's right? what I was going to say. It's like they everyone who's interviewing it's almost like you, you're you have to sell them, right? Like why your company, why your role. And so I feel like candidates are just not feeling the need to go and sell themselves and to differentiate because if it's not you, it's somebody else.
2: But the best thing we could do as hiring managers is continue to be selective, because oh, absolutely, I mean, as selective as you possibly can, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. We're still all going to have to work harder. It, our, you know, one of our board members made an interesting comment in our last board meeting. He's like that the big differentiator here is going to be how well you recruit during this time. Right. And because there's going to be a little bit more turnover than normal, but you got to keep getting the great, great people in, you know, selling the benefits of the company, you know, providing a great place for people to work, showing the value of of the business to them, you know, during the recruiting process. All right. You want to move on, Jeff? Yeah. Unexpected topic, but I think that's a good one. Yeah. I, I like that topic a lot. we uh, ask about it. This is well, we can hit on this really quick,
0: but I just threw um, an article into our doc and it just hits on, cause we were just talking about how do you drive like an engaging in-person event? And um, Jason Lemkin just had this quick thing about webinars and how, you know, webinars are like one of the things that just always consistently do well, you know, and they, he's got some quotes in there. There's like a, uh, LinkedIn thread where, where, um, someone mentions that they have run webinars for two years, um, almost consistently monthly over two years, and they get 700 to 750 to a thousand registrants for every single one. And they've done that for two years, once a month. Like, so just think about, you know, what that means and, you know, quote unquote leads they've gotten. Um, but I'm just curious, like I, I used to be somebody that would sign up for a ton of webinars and. I would attend, you know, here and there when the topic was right and what was, you know, what was there. But I mean, if they're getting these types of registration numbers, like it, you know, quote unquote, it seemingly has value, but then also the ones I feel like I attend are good, but they're never like wowing me to that. I'm like walking away. And so I'm like, I mean, I don't know how do you all feel about this for your customer bases. Like are, are I mean, are webinars, the things to be doing, do you think about creating different types of kind of video experiences or virtual events? Like, I don't know. It just seems like in this article, I was just reading it and just sitting here thinking like, am I the only one that just thinks that they're most likely unvaluable um, in terms of the actual content or output? Um, you know, the topic might be interesting, but in terms of like what I think I, I get at the end of the day for spending an hour of my time, I, don't, I just don't ever know if, if the equation's right. So I'm just curious and we can move on quickly, but I'm just curious if you all think of like the same thing about webinars or not.
1: I think It depends on the, the format and the content and the presenter. So I will say for hours at Client Success, our webinars that where we invite somebody to speak, they'll, they'll do well. We'll get anywhere between 400 and a thousand registrants, depending on the speaker and the topic. But the CS Leadership Bootcamp series that I launched, we get over 3,000 registrants. And wow. on average, we'll get anywhere between four and 500 people who attend live. And that the, the downloads and the rewatches is, is pretty amazing. And that's because the way that we structure the content, right? To your point, like how much value you get out of it we make them practical tactical. So it's like, we give you that why you have to do this thing, how to do it, how we've done it. And then we give you tools to go do it yourself. So we found that like, when we really honed in on who we were targeting for these, we understood what they needed and what they wanted. And we gave them that. So I think that there's just little, by the way, of people really thinking about their audience and the value that they get out of it. And people send to just say, well, this is a webinar format and this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And we kind of do a lot of the same. And so I think we're in a unique situation where I think the customer success community and the growth of it and people interested in it, right? There's people every day, new people popping up saying, hey, I, I, you know, I just, oh, I heard about customer success, I'm super interested. Um, and so we point them to these resources and they're helpful for them. But for folks that have been in it for a long time, how do you create content that's gonna be valuable for them? Like how do we continue to educate and enable folks like the two of you, right? Like what, what's the draw? Like what, how could I ever get Jay and Jeff to attend a piece of content? Like, you know, that's tough. That's sort where of I thing is tricky.
0: Hello, Gangor This is Jeff. You might be listening to the show today for many reasons. Maybe you're looking to learn something new. Maybe you're looking to listen to a speaker that you love, or maybe you're driving and the co-pilot has control of the radio. Whatever the case is, I wanted to tell you about HubSpot's CRM platform and some new pieces that improve the customer experience. First, customer intelligence tools that help your teams get real-time insight into calls through automatic recording, transcription, and analysis. Think about the types of conversations and coaching that you can do with your customer teams. Next is easy share meeting links, which let your customers see availability and book meetings with you all from the HubSpot platform. The last improved data hygiene, and that always is needed in a CRM platform. So learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM platform at HubSpot.com. I think
2: the, I mean, it's interesting that he talks about this one person who ran it month after month and has had those consistent results. And I, I mean, it's sort of like you're talking about Christy. I think with all of it, you're either building brand reputation or you're or you're destroying brand reputation. So if you have a webinar, like I've been on some webinars lately, as even a guest on the web on the webinar, where the technology didn't work, it was antiquated, um, the the prep wasn't great. Like, and I think the, like, you're going to get one and done there, right? You might get the quote unquote lead to your point, Jeff, it's the email address, right? It's not the lead, but um, you, you're, you're going to get, you'll get people to come as, as long as you have market share to, you know, new, new people to, to entice in. But if you could take a program like that and consistently build value so that when the, the most interesting thing there would be to measure what are the repeat. Who are the people that come to multiple in a year? Because that's when you know, okay, you've got something more than just a top of funnel marketing program. You're actually starting to engage a community, an audience, right? That that you want to have around. I mean, I think about HubSpot, like they're the they're the best in the world, right? And how many people have gotten value from HubSpot that have never bought a thing? It's it's crazy. I, I think the the webinar format is tired. So the people it's like everything how you do things really matters right and so the people who just sort of show up and check the box and do the 7 minute intro and let the panelists go around and introduce themselves and talk about their company nobody cares about all that stuff right so how quickly can you launch the webinar m- make sure it works on the first try the quality content the speakers the the prep is all good and then jump right into it like does this thing really need to be an hour or could it be 35 minutes, right, with a with a 45 second intro? Man, that would that would really feel more valuable to me on the other end of it. So I think, I think it it's just like everything, right? You can't say any one method or any one channel is quote unquote dead. Like people are using billboards again because people thought they were dead, right? It's how you use the billboard that's really powerful. Uh, have you seen what what Sterling Snow at Divi does?
1: Yes. And congratulate, celebrate all the friends.
2: Yeah. I mean, what a great use of outdoor media, right? (laughs) He's not looking for leads, not looking for attribution, but man, I see those things on LinkedIn every other day when he posts them. I know thousands of people driving up and down the highway in Lehigh do as well. So, um, anyway, I think how you do these things really matters. Yeah, well, I, think I think you're
1: right. I think I, I've seen some people make it very engaging, kind of change the format, right? Like how many webinars people go and they're they're multitasking, right? And there's analytics that allow you to see how engaged your participants are, how long they stay, are they watching, are they on your screen or are they on their email right? or something else? So I think those types of insights are interesting, but we're getting ready to launch like our, our very quick, bi-weekly, like 30, it's a 30 minute masterclass, like deep dive into little parts of our product to help our, our end users and we're going to make it engaging and we're changing the format and it's going to be more collaborative and we're going to have polls and all this other stuff. And so we're thinking about just taking a whole nother approach to it and not making it feel like a webinar, but really kind of this like collaborative training and learning environment. Um, and so one of the folks on my team is taking, taking lead on that. And I've just, I'm really excited about that because I do think it's. Are you, are you
2: going to open that up to, are you going to open that up to non-customers as well?
1: It's, it's a client success training um, on the product. And so, yes, yeah, so yeah. we'll talk about use cases and like, how do you solve for this problem? Cause that's going to be the emphasis of it. Like you have this problem here, here's what you're trying to solve for. And here's how to do it in our product. So it's like, that's the format it's going to take in a very engaging way. Um, it's not going to not be open to folks who aren't client success employees, but we're going to be marketing it to our customer base. Cause that makes the most sense. But if somebody who's not a customer joins, it's not like we're going to be booting them out.
0: Yeah. I, <clears throat> I like that idea. The um, the other thing you know that you both I think are are talking about and talking to you as well is that I think the reason why you you know hop into a webinar and you don't necessarily uh, maybe find value from it is because of like the how and sometimes you're just checking the box and just like you said Jay too the other interesting part and I don't even know if this is what you meant but you know you as a guest speaker on that on that webinar now actually think differently about that brand even though you're not a customer right they just asked you to talk on their webinar but because of the way that they handled it right they. They botched the, the pre-call with you. They, you know, the technology didn't work well. Um, they had, you know, they asked you to get drone on about yourself for too long of an intro. Like think about how those things now you're kind of like, well, I'm, I'm not really inclined to go do that again. Or, I didn't really have a great experience. So I like the idea that, of what you're saying. Like every interaction is like this brand, you know, you're either building brand or you're hurting brand. Um, so really care about the, you know, the webinar and how you're bringing it on. If you can do it well, that's also what stands out, right? We've, we've done these so many times now that, if you actually did it in a um, really engaging way, it would stand out so much more. People w- would get it. And I mean, you know, back to you, Christy, like the 3,000 registrants and uh, getting 500 people live on a call is because of the way you've organized it, you've structured it, you think about the content, you know, you're promoting it. Like there's all these things go into it. And if you can think about it artfully, um, it does it well. So anyways, I, I thought it was interesting that um, he said it and uh, we just had like a little little blurb. So Who's next who's got something to to talk through
1: jay's got two things up there what do you got jay
2: well yeah so one of them i had on here last week but i think um i think the the more interesting one is this this guy um who what was his name uh it was on market watch this is actually i had our one of our old colleagues sent me this article and basically the the thesis of the article is hey i'm going to give you a new way to pick stocks and and actually win in the stock market and you don't even have to look at any metrics you don't have to understand you know pe ratios you don't have to understand any of this stuff but just rank all the companies in a segment by what you what their nps scores are or their their customer satisfaction ratings to the extent that you can find them or, or deduce them and i thought this was really interesting because so some of the stocks he ended up picking I'll just tell you. Um, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Costco, Google, Southwest Airlines. We've read about them, right? American Express, which I love American Express. Jeff and I talk about it all the time. Free advertising. JetBlue, which Jeff and I actually just flew this week and we were blown away by the experience even though they didn't oh, have.
1: really? Yeah, it was
2: really nice. Oh, I'm such really a Delta nice.
1: girl. I haven't flown anything non-Delta and like five years okay
2: yeah i get that uh verizon that i did not understand but
1: <laughs> i don't know um, how calicom ever makes it to you a favorite list yeah so.
2: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> sorry sorry verizon
2: t <laughs> mobile which i do get uh um, norton LifeLock. so anyway i just thought it was interesting and, and it's funny I, I thought this was really interesting that this was actually written down this way because um because I've sort of done the same thing, but I just look at LinkedIn and I look at employees who are really happy at the companies that they work for. So some of the companies I've invested in based on that are like uh, Workday. And I, when I say invest, I mean, I'm not I'm not throwing, you know, six figures at these investments, but I'll tell you some of them that that I have because I think it's interesting. But Workday has got a great reputation with their people. Um, who else? Of course, HubSpot. Um Sprout Social was showing up in my LinkedIn feed. So I was like, will oh, check them out, right? And see, see what's going on there and, and buy a few shares. So anyway, I've taken a similar approach. So just wonder what you guys think about that. He also talked about this whole idea of NPS 3.0, which we, we could talk about that maybe another time. But the idea, it, and I, I like it for a number of reasons, but I just thought it was cool that, you know, customer experience is actually factoring into the way that people are thinking about investing. And maybe that becomes more mainstream in the future.
1: I think that's super smart. And one of the brands that actually stood out to me when I was skimming the article with you is Chewy. So anyone who has a pet that's used Chewy, I mean, like, I'm sorry, the experience, the customer service, the the app, the, I mean, like I've had friends when their pets passed getting flowers from Chewy. Like, I mean, just like talk about a brand who cares and understands who their audience is. Like our pets are our children. They're an extension of our families. And to have a brand that understands that and embraces it, like, I know people just they love it and it seems like people that work at Chewy love working at Chewy. So I thought that was an awesome brand that they highlighted that I felt a personal like, yes, as a user of them, I do love them. I would work at Chewy. Are
2: they public? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. All right. Well maybe they'll be next to my list. Although everything's getting destroyed right now. But well, you know, it's been a bad couple of weeks. What's the don't we have to give
0: like a financial uh disclosure, like we're not, uh, go, go talk to your stock advisor. We're not giving you actual advice. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Advice. I'm not giving yeah. stock advice. Um, I actually, <laughs> like, because my Trust husband me. works in finance, I wonder if this is <laughs> even worse for me to make any comments.
0: <laughs> I, have no um, I just think the, I, I mean, I think the interesting thing is that, um, I don't know, I, I guess NPS is somewhat universal, right? Like it is across all these different companies, but like the thing that the first thought that popped into my mind is just like, um, is, I don't know. When do these, when do they ask their NPS surveys? And I, I just started digging into like, okay, are they, are, I don't know, like do, some are it? Yeah, like do some companies game the system. And so like, now this guy's investing in, I mean, the, the companies that he mentions right are um, outwardly facing. You can, tell I mean, you can, you've had experience with those brands. You kind of know. Right. Um, but I just, in my mind, the first thing I thought of was like, I wonder if any of these companies are gaming the NPS system. And like, when were they sending these NPS surveys? Were they only sending it to happy customers? Um, so, well, some I mean, of these
2: companies, though, some of these companies, when they're public like this, you can see their results over a long period of time, like JetBlue, right? Southwest Airlines—they've never not had a profitable quarter as an airline, right? And so, and I think that gets into the that gets into the NPS 3.0 thing, which is it actually tying customer sentiment back to not not what they say they will do, but did they actually renew? Did they actually buy from you again? So yeah. basically, tying it back to revenue. Right, so I think that that's an overriding factor for some of these bigger ones. Now, smaller companies, you know, much harder to to see the the actual results.
0: The other thing that I just noticed about his list right now is that there's no SaaS companies.
2: Oh yeah, they're all. Well, I mean, Google. They might have a SaaS
0: product here and there. I meant there's no predominantly. There's no predominant yeah. SaaS products in here in terms of like, yeah, their, there's no enterprise
2: B2, B2B. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I like the Edward idea.
1: Lee talking about how much they love their B2B software.
2: Man, I would have been bragging about my portfolio you know, a couple of months ago, but it's just, it's been rough. <laughs> it's, you know, it's sort of, this is my, I call this my fun money. This is my play account, but yeah. So. All right, so that was my thing.
1: I like it, that was Who's a next? Good
2: Christy, what you got?
1: All right, so I, I don't know that I wanted to spend too much time on this, but I thought it was timely and I wanted to get your feedback. So uh, our friend, Mary Poppin, chief customer officer at Evolve IO um, or AI, she did her predictions on CX Buzz for 2022. <laughs> And I wanted you guys, I wanted to hear your thoughts on her predictions because I went through them and I read them and I was like, okay, some of them I, I felt aligned to, And then some of them I was like, yeah, really? That's oh, okay. Um, and so I wanted to get your thoughts. So I thought we could do like a fine kind of fire around, like, here's her prediction. Are you in or are you out? Like, is that your, like, are you in line with that prediction? So I thought we could make it a little fun speed round of yes or no.
2: <laughs> All right. So if you
1: haven't read the article, then it'll be that much more fun because we're just going to do it quick and on the yeah. fly. So she said the headings. Customer success experience will shift from a cost center to a revenue growth engine. Jeff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. Um, I mean, I think it's. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like you have to align yourself to revenue to some degree, and you know, I think CS teams have talked about in some cases trying to avoid that. You know, like oh, we don't want to taint our relationship with customers by having revenue or renewals or whatnot. But at the end of the day, you have to tie yourself to something that is impacting overall business and how you're impacting retention and renewals. So um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to tell the story in a way that is leading to that and that it's actually architecting the growth of the company, not, hey, we're you know, stuffing people over here just to make customers happy and stick with us.
1: I think you guys have been saying that for a long time that align yourselves with revenue. So this isn't even like a new conversation that I think the three of us have been a part of, but it is interesting to see, I think, I guess more companies, right? Like, I don't know if it's like more companies focusing on this or shifting in that direction that haven't yet made that pivot and shift.
2: I think there's always going to be some companies that are earlier stage that are really just lavishing customers with attention and and human interaction, especially in the earth, like, as they're getting off the ground, finding product market fit, getting their first hundred customers, first thousand customers. So I think to some degree there will always be companies shifting from from that. So I don't think this is a new trend. I don't think it's something that's automatically going to start happening in twenty twenty. I, I think it's been happening for a long time.
1: And Just there's take, some co- takes a while to get the entire kind of market shifted. That way. well,
2: time. yeah, and, and there will always be new companies that aren't taking the revenue driven approach if they want. Yeah, and then they'll they'll evolve with it. But I mean, yeah. I mean, that's it's an easy one. It's it's safe.
1: <laughs> okay, I like that. All right, here's your next one. <laughs> customer intelligence will be a priority for C-suite executives and their entire business.
2: Thousand percent, yes. Yeah, I mean. No so worry. what?
1: All right. So what are the insights? Right. So like, what type of customer intelligence do you think is going to be powering the C-suite?
0: I think of. I think the biggest thing is is predict predictability. So how, I mean, Jay talks about this all the time with our team and it has really resonated with me recently that the business can only make decisions if we have predictability and we can have a line of sight into the future, right? We can't, if we don't know what's going to happen next quarter with renewals, retention, or we don't know what's going to happen next quarter with sales, how, how are we going to effectively make decisions like for the benefit of our customers, of our shareholders, of our employees, like we can't do that. And so, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, to me, like what, what does customer intelligence means? It's how can we get um, better predictability and better management around retention and renewals and what's coming in the, or like what's keeping in the door.
2: I I agree. And I would say that that is sort of the reactionary part of it, the, the part of it that we really need insight on is, um, what, are, what, what is the health of the customer? How is that impacting their ability to be advocates for us? Because at the end of the day, every SaaS company is trying to grow. The way you grow is by pleasing your customers so the word of mouth travels faster. You have case studies, you have references, you have people who are ambassadors for your brand. Like that's what we should all be fighting to create, not just protect what we've got, right? But actually fighting to create more market share. And we got to understand what the factors are impacting our customers that are preventing us from doing that. So that would be the upstream piece of what Jeff just said in my mind. And it leads to renewals and retention as well, right? I
1: love that. All right, he's got her third one. All right, we
2: gotta go faster. We gotta go All right, faster.
1: I'm gonna go faster, I'm gonna go faster. No, not
2: you, me and Jeff.
1: Okay, yeah, you're Talking right, I'm just much. asking a question. All right, segmentation of delivery approaches will be different from sales organizations segmentation to create a more personalized experience for customers and drive scale and profitability internally. So you're saying that yep. we're, how we segment and how sales segments, those are gonna actually not be the same, right? Shift there so we can create more personalized experiences.
0: I mean, I think the short answer is yes. I think that the challenge will always be, do we have enough data on our customers to create a personalized experience? And right now, I think the answer is no. And I think the reason for that is around data hygiene um, and data capture. We just have not figured out the right way to do those things. So until that happens, I think you're going to get very, all tier one customers get X, tier two get customers get Y, You know, tier three customers get Z. You might be able to you know differentiate by segment and whatnot. But if you're talking about personalized experience for people, the data capture is bad, our data hygiene is bad, and therefore we're not going to be able to do that um, in a consistent manner?
2: Um, I, my, my answer on this is yes, this is true. Um, however, I think there has to be some connectivity between market segmentation and customer segmentation. So for us, the market segmentation, the size of the organization we're selling to, whether it be employee count, revenue, band, whatever it is, that interlocks with segmentation that we have on the customer side. We have that, we use those same metrics to, to, to segment. But then we also overlay a lot of other factors. The product that they have or the product of the pricing plan that they're on, um, how much they pay, like all those things matter and you sort of have to go. But, but it's important to have that interlock too because you're looking at the business as a whole. It gets back to that advocacy thing, right? How, how can I leverage customers and their success to go Create more momentum in the marketplace. I gotta know how it connects into the sales, the go-to-market function to do that.
1: All right, very good. We're moving right. along. Automation along. workflows will be smarter based on AI to deliver more relevant content and support to customers. So it talks about automation. Focus on there. Are we see more automation.
2: Isn't so isn't the company, this company a an AI company? Can we just go to the next question?
1: <laughs> I mean, all right, cool. prediction. All right, so listen. So Jeff did hit on this. We're to go to this one. Prediction will be the most important driver of differentiated experiences and outcomes.
0: I don't even know what that means.
1: Well, you talked about predictability. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you talked about predictability a little bit, right? Like you can't run the business so it's like you can't manage, you can't measure. I okay. Can't measure. So I will give you like a little bit of that, but I think that she's taking it and more into AIML. Yeah,
2: Who's going to be successful? Who's who's going to have challenges? I I think it's interesting because as you get to know your customer base as a customer success leader or a customer success manager, you begin to see the signals even before, right? You start to see pattern recognition. Like our implementation team all the time, they're like, yeah, we've got these couple of deals coming in. We've been involved in the pre-sales, but I can already tell you we're going to have challenges because of this, this, and this. Like, it's there. So the question is, how do we take that intuition that people build and gain over time and use it to not, we don't want to, we can't not take the business, right? As long as it's in line with our client profiles that we're targeting and that kind of thing. But how do we take some of those insights and use them to tailor the user experience in a way that, okay, we're going to go tackle this particular issue head on because we know they're coming in with lack of resources in this area or a different perspective on how the, the processes should work than what our product does, whatever the case may be. But I think those kind of insights are really how you drive different shape of product experience. And, and to Jeff's point earlier, I mean, yes, we got to segment and provide individualized experiences, but the more you segment, like it, it increases the amount of work that your teams have to support so you have to have you have to have you know structure and process and operations around that too like there's a there's a point where personalization gets really really hard in at least in b2b so anyway i just went off on a weird tangent but i think prediction will be an important driver of customer experience and outcomes
1: Very good, well, we made it through the full list with two minutes (laughs) remaining.
2: That's good, I like that.
1: I just thought it could be fun. I know that everyone, I feel like everyone right now, I feel like I've participated in like four different prediction programs, reports, something, questions, webinars, or whatever. I, interestingly enough, gave different predictions in all of them. <laughs> Almost like not intentionally, but if they ask for three, I'm like, I can go up with a whole bunch. You get three, you get three, you get three. Now, get now three. the best one
2: to lose.
0: <laughs> now, the, uh, the best thing for us is going to be going to look at those. And then we're going to grade, you know, next December, we're going to grade each of your, the three that you went out and did and, uh, you know, look at which one, you know, got the most predictions Literally,
1: right. They're all safe, right? Like, I got three over here, I got three over here. I got, like, well, I have to get it right, right? The odds That's say awesome. I got to get one thing right. No
2: maybe now that you say prediction i'm just realizing that i owed Todd via an email it's probably too late
1: <laughs> <That was laughs> one of the ones i did my predictions <laughs>
2: um
0: here's another thing in one minute that i think you guys okay, might one minute. appreciate so one, yes, minute.
1: one minute go
0: what do you got i just saw this graphic and i it resonated with me quite a bit should this be a meeting and the question the first question is do you need an immediate response yes no if you go no, then it, you know. Can your message be communicated and understood in less than two sentences? Yes, no, um, and so it just kind of goes down. But I think this should be more. It's
2: also an ad. <laughs> I'm noticing now. Sure, but
1: it's actually fun. Like that's yeah, great.
2: It is, yeah, it is good. It's very good. Hey, great kudos you know what? You. Great thought. Great thought. Leadership is uh, is a subtle ad. All right, you should give him a shout out.
0: Yeah, well, uh, it's Loom. Loom has a Pretty great. Sure should this did, be Like the post, if
1: you didn't see it like emoji underneath the
2: ad. <laughs> that's the video, right? That's the video recording thing, like you get. Loom's yourself. like the little yeah. screen capture thing, yeah. Like so Bomb Bomb. They, they, it's
1: really cool.
0: Their big thing is just um, asynchronous audio and video. You know, like we should be communicating things that are two yep. sentences long in a quick video rather than a, a message that can be misinterpreted and that you know, we, and that also helps to drive more interaction with interactions with your team. They hear you, they see you more. Um, so I just think there's too many meetings in the world. So anything that gets me out of meetings, I'm all for. Yeah.
1: Yes. So interesting right. predictions on the number of hours we'll all spend in meetings in 2022.
2: <laughs> all right. I hope everybody has yeah, a good day. Thanks for doing this.
0: All right. Have a good weekend. Good
1: Bye see y'all. guys.
2: Good to see you this week, Christy. Yeah. Good to yes. see you in person. See you. All right.